0: Hello and welcome to the Basic Income Podcast. I'm Owen Poindexter. This week I am joined by Rutger Bregman from Amsterdam. He's the author of Utopia for Realists. Rutger, how are you doing today? Yeah, great. Thanks for having me. So what got you interested in the universal basic income? Well, um, it was actually, I was writing
1: about the need for a much shorter work week. I was getting interested in all all these work week related problems of stress and climate change and consumerism, and, and I was and I was thinking that, you know, a, a shorter paid work week would be a solution to many of our problems. Um, so this this was sort of a different subject that I was writing about. And then one afternoon, I was thinking, how could we get people to work less? And I thought, well, what if we just give them money, you know, at some point they'll probably stop doing paid work and do more unpaid work, which I think is a good thing. So. I just typed some of this thing like free money and I googled some of it, and then I found out that this is actually a very old idea going back all the way to the 18th century, uh, and that many people had written about it and that it's called basic income. and I found it a completely fascinating idea. You know one of the first thing I found out that it's actually not a very good tool to to get people to work less. <laughs> so uh, like you know the famous experiment in Dolph in Canada showed that. You know, there are hardly any work hour reductions, and even if there are, then all of the uh, the reduction in work hours are compensated by useful volunteers' work or more caring for the uh, kids or elderly. Um, but yes, that's sort of how it started. It was it was sort of by accident.
0: Yeah, it's funny that you came to it from the, let's get people to work less angled because yeah. it's often an objection that people have yeah. that, you know, proponents of the basic income have to say, no, no, we've tried it and people, people keep working. Um, so I imagine you've gotten a variety of reactions and responses to your book. Uh, have any of them surprised you? Well, definitely. You know, in the Netherlands, in Amsterdam, it was just the same as I think
1: it was in the whole world. You know, I mean, three years ago, almost no one knew about basic income. You know, it was a completely marginal subject that only some obscure bloggers were writing about, and of course. I started writing about it at the moment that the Swiss referendum was gaining some, uh, you know, was attracting some interest. Um, this was in October 2013. And one of the first pieces I wrote about it, called Why We Should Give Free Money to Everyone, uh, attracted a lot of readers. It was read about a half a million times, which is quite a lot for a small country with 17 million inhabitants. Um, and then one of the most fascinating things was that the people who were most interested. They weren't, uh, it wasn't the national television or the national politicians that got interested in the subject, but what happened was completely bottom-up. So at the local level, uh, many people who heard about this idea said to themselves, like, can we experiment with this kind of thing? And now, I mean, it's just three years later, there are 20 cities who want to do some kind of basic income experiment. yeah, it's been absolutely fascinating to see how quickly uh, this, this, this all developed, you know. Uh, it really made me a believer in the power of ideas.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And how has the, the Swiss referendum, which uh, just happened recently, how has that affected the conversation in the Netherlands?
1: Well, I, I mean, it's been important, you know, there's obviously been a lot of international news coverage of the um, Swiss referendum. And, and also in the Netherlands. But what was, I guess, even more important is that, um, you know, the basic income movement in the Netherlands is very much a movement against workfare. So I don't think, especially many, many Americans don't don't know about this, that they, they have this image of the northern European welfare states, which is supposed to give you free money and, <laughs> you know, that you can just be lazy. Well the, tr- the truth is actually a lot different. So I can give you just one example. There's a city called Rotterdam, a bit to the south of Amsterdam. And what they do is they let benefit recipients clean streets that are already clean. This is called uh, voluntary uh, or obligatory volunteers work, quite an Orwellian term. Uh, So they have to do this if they want to receive any benefits. And meanwhile, while while they're cleaning these streets that are already clean, they are watched by a guard, and they have to wear an orange vest, and on the back of the vest are the, are the words work base. So this is a really, really humiliating experiment, and, and people have to do it, what it about four times every week. Um, oh, and, and they have, the, the streets are already clean because you know, the professional street cleaning crew already did it. Uh, Because, you know, if they did actually useful work, then they would take away someone else's job and the unions will get mad. So this is what workfare looks like nowadays in the Netherlands. And many people who have to work with it, you know, on a local level, who have to implement these kind of laws, they know that it's extremely inefficient, that it's expensive, that it's very humiliating, that it doesn't help people to get up and make something of their lives. But it, that just, you know, it drains all motivation out of these people. Um, so I think that that's has also been very important that uh, the government just introduced a new law called the Participation Law. Again, a very Orwellian term, uh, which is, uh, you know, basically very harsh uh, workfare. And that many people started to think, what if we started to move in the, you know, in the, the complete opposite direction?
0: Yeah. Yeah, that, that's fascinating. I, I, I'll confess I had no idea about that. So would you say that there's this this ethos that people should be... We can't just give money away and that this is kind of a new scary idea for people?
1: Well, yes. I mean, I, I guess the most important objection to basic income is basically a moral one. So people have this idea. It's a very old idea. I guess it goes back to... Elizabethan uh, poor, poor Law back from the 16th century. And the idea that most people have is that you have to work for your money. And we define work in a very narrow way. So the only thing that we consider work is this the stuff you do for your employer, you know, uh, the guy who is in a hierarchical relationship with you. And, and you have to get paid money for it. You know, all the other things, you know, all the work we do in the household or all the caring work we do for our kids or elderly or volunteers work, whatever, it's, it's all not included. It's not included in GDP, uh, but it's extremely important. Um, in many cases, you know, it's even more important than the paid work we do. Uh, I've written a lot about this uh, idea uh, uh, of uh, the American anthropologist David Graeber. He writes about bullshit jobs. Uh, and these these are the jobs that even the people who have them uh, consider pointless. Um, you know, when I first wrote about it, I, I thought, "How big can this really be?" Um, but then, you know, confessions started pouring in, and all kinds of people, especially people with quite good salaries, you know, consultants, investment bankers, corporate lawyers, were all emailing me and tweeting and Facebooking me and saying, "You know, <laughs> I've got one of those bullshit jobs." So mm-hmm. sometimes it, it seems as if as if the world is completely upside down. Um, I've also met a lot of people who, you know, have a job that they actually hate, that they think completely pointless, but they use the money they earn with that job to do something useful. So, (laughs) uh, in in modern capitalism, we fund the truly important things with bullshit. yeah. This this happens a lot in journalism, for example. So I, I know a lot of jur- journalists who mm-hmm. don't earn a lot of money with the work they cons- they really care about. So they have to do PR work for companies they hate to write investigative reports into exactly those kind of companies. Yeah. So yeah, it's yeah, completely it's upside down.
0: So you did a ton of research for for your book Utopia for Realists. Uh, what's something that surprised you along the way of digging into the work week, the basic income, all of that? Well, the, I mean, there are, there are a lot of
1: interesting stories that I stumbled upon. Actually, one of the most uh, interesting cases was, I guess, something an experiment that happened in uh, London, in the, in the city, you know, the financial district of London. <laughs> And what they did there was an experiment with a few homeless men, about thirteen of them, um, and you know these these, these men had been living on the street for like thirty or forty years. They were really regarded as hopeless cases. Uh, everything had been tried, and you know the, the care workers didn't know what to do anymore. So at, at one point, someone said. Why, why not try something really crazy? Let's just give them money and see what happens. You know, we've never tried that actually, so let's just give them 3,000 pounds and see what they'll do with it. Maybe, maybe it will empower them. Uh, now, many of the, of, the, of the people who work for the foundation who did this were really skeptical. Um, but then you know, something really amazing happened. A year after the experiment, seven out of 13 of the men had a roof above their head and two more had applied for housing. And, and, and they all spent their money in really useful things, like a dictionary or hearing aid, or uh, so, someone took gardening classes. Um, but I guess the most important thing was that the money seemed to empower them. Um, and and I, I know, obviously, this is a small experiment, you know? We can't draw huge conclusions out of it. But it made me think, and uh, maybe we really need to rethink what poverty actually is. You know, many people also on the left—they they have this tendency to regard poverty as a as a lack of character. Uh, but I really think that the research shows that it's just a lack of money. Um,
0: yeah, I mean, on a, the most basic level, that's absolutely what it is. So you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's it sounds like you
1: know a simple, obvious truth. But but it's a truth we ignore all the time. Um, so let let me give you one example. There there was a. A really uh, large meta uh, meta study a few years ago, and they looked at 200 other studies uh, that uh, researched uh, courses in financial literacy. So these were all experiments where they they tried to teach poor people how to uh, deal with their money, how to spend their money on the right things. Um, and the result of this huge study was that the courses don't do anything good, and in some cases. Uh, they lead to worse decisions uh, of poor people that they that they use their 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 money in a, in an even worse way. Um, how, how can th- how can this happen? You know, many people think that education is always the solution, uh, but then I th- then I spoke to one researcher from Princeton, Elvis Shafir, who's developed this neo revolutionary theory about poverty, and he he said to me that the problem is not that poor people don't learn anything in these kind of courses. The problem is that you know, if you teach someone to swim and if you then throw him into the ocean, then of course that person will still drown. I mean, he or she has learned something, but it's just not enough. The context is too overwhelming. Uh, so what do you have to do? You have to get rid of poverty first and then all the other things come. Um, but if you look at our welfare state, if you look at all our social programs, etc. We all the time we start we start with the wrong things. You know, we are giving education to people who are still in poverty. We are giving them all kinds of stuff that they don't really need. Um, yeah. We should get rid of all those programs and just hand out the cash.
0: And one point you make in your book is that these programs are, are very expensive, and you know, giving money isn't necessarily cheap either. But it's very efficient. <laughs> the you yeah, know, it's definitely. something.
1: Like- it's, it's really efficient. You know that. And, and this is what they, what they found out time and time again. And again, I, I must really emphasize this. This is not some kind of ideological thing for me. So you can argue for hours, are people good or bad? What, what is poverty, you know? As philosophers have argued about that for centuries. I really think it's important to just look at the evidence. You know, we now have hundreds of experiments that, that have been conducted around the world with, uh, for example, cash transfer programs. And time and time again, researchers have found that these are extremely effective in combating poverty, that the poor don't waste their money. In fact, in many cases, they start spending less on drugs and alcohol um, because they, you know, they, they, they now have the means to get up and really do something with their lives. Um, there's, there was one uh, experiment in uh, Liberia. This was conducted by Chris Blattman, a really great researcher, he's done some of the most fascinating research on these questions. Um, And what he did um, with his team, uh, they gave um, um, a cash transfer of about $200, if I remember correctly, which is a lot in Liberia, um, to, you know, the poor people who... You would say that you can't really trust. So these were drug addicts, you know, small criminals, et cetera, and even they didn't waste the money. You know, even they used it to start a small business or spend it on their families, and you know, they, they even they spend it wisely. So the researchers at the end of their paper asked the question: So if if even they don't
0: waste it, who else will? Um, yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah. Um, so the, the guiding idea, the overarching idea of your book is this concept of utopia. So why did you decide to take that perspective?
1: The biggest problem is not that we don't really have a good. You know, there's been tremendous progress in the past two centuries. We've gotten a, a whole lot richer. Um, but the problem is that we don't really have the great visions for tomorrow anymore. So we don't really have utopian visions. Um, Politics is is mostly about problem solving nowadays um, and about keeping the things we already have. I think this is a huge problem on the left. So the uh, people on the left always know what they're against. You know, they're anti-establishment, anti-racism, anti-homophobia, anti-austerity, all these kind of things. But what are we we actually for is also, I guess, a good question. Uh, And I really think that universal basic income is one of those things that still sounds utopian nowadays, but may very well become reality, at least during my lifetime. Um, Because every milestone of civilization was once a utopian fantasy. you know, progress always starts in the periphery. We've seen this happening in the Netherlands as well. As I said, you know, it wasn't the national television or the national politicians who first started talking about this. You know, it all started at a local level with people who regard it as crazy by many of the people who regard themselves as reasonable or realistic or whatever, uh, but that's how it always goes. You know, that, that's how the civil rights movement has started. That's how the movement for the abolishment of slavery has started. That's how we got democracy. Uh, I think that's that's what progress, what it's always looks has looked like. Uh, but we need to have, I think, new utopian visions to strive for and universal basic income is definitely one of them
0: so what do you hope to see happen next with the universal basic income Um, well you know I'm a historian
1: so I don't think basic income will be implemented in one stroke you know like that someone will develop a great blueprint and that some team of economists will calculate how much it will cost and that will then just go ahead Um, I think Progress is a much more gradual thing. So, at the moment, we're living in the golden age of basic income experiments. You know, things are happening in Finland, Canada, in the Netherlands, in Silicon Valley, uh, and I think this is really how it will happen. I, I don't think you should regard basic income as just one idea. It's actually a thousand ideas. It's 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 more like a directional thought. Uh, it's, it's about unconditionality, it's about uh, making welfare universal, individual, and you, know, we can, you can also see it like it's a scale. On the one hand, we have w- the workfare uh, regimes of our times, which are very expensive, ineffective and humiliating, uh, but we can move gradually away from that in the direction of basic income. So we can make the welfare and tax systems that we now have. We can make it a little bit more unconditional, We can make it a little bit more universal and less targeted. Um, and I think that's the way forward. So we should celebrate as, as the basic income should celebrate every small step that's that's being taken in that direction. And we shouldn't be too purist about you know what's the right kind of basic income, although. I do think it's important to emphasize that basic income is a supplement to the welfare state we have now, and it's not, you know, I don't believe in the libertarian idea of getting rid of Medicaid and Medicare, etc. You know, these are milestones of civilization as well, which you keep
0: them. All right. Well, Rector Breckman, thank you so much for, for joining me. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. That was Rector Bregman, author of Utopia for Realists on the Basic Income podcast. To hear more conversations like this, please subscribe on iTunes. And while you're there, leave us a rating or review. It'll help other people find the podcast. Have a good day.